You may be seated. You can uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. I was blessed uh, during the uh, Sunday school hour. Uh, If you weren't there, I I feel sorry for you. Evan did a great job uh, going through Joshua chapter 6, talking about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Uh, You say, well, what else did he talk about? You know, he talked about things that uh, modern-day churches would call old school, things like read your Bible, pray, you know, go to church. Uh, I know it blessed me. You know, so many people in modern-day Christianity, they remind me of uh, the Athenians that Paul talked about in Acts chapter 17. The Bible says they, uh, all they wanted to do was teach and hear some new thing. And, there, you know, there's nothing new that you're going to hear from me today. If you came to hear something new, I'm sorry to... Uh, Burst your bubble, but I don't have anything new. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. I'm just here to teach and preach God's Word. Thankful for His Word. I'm always thankful for the opportunity I get to uh, preach God's Word, but I'm especially grateful when I get to come home. Uh, I get to come to Winton Place and preach. There's just nothing like it, Uh, and I do appreciate Danny and his family uh, being willing to have me come and speak. Matthew chapter 8, this morning I would like to read through a well-known passage of Scripture uh, and just give some observations and, and applications. All throughout the chapter of Matthew 8, we see Jesus performing many miracles. Jesus had a very active ministry. He didn't just sit on the couch. He cared for people. Countless times did Jesus cause the blind to see. He caused the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. And you would think that those who followed Christ the closest would always be full of faith. That's how we read the Bible, at least that's how I read the Bible. When I read stories of the disciples, I assume if I was one of them, I I wouldn't uh, ever stumble in my Christian life. You're right there with God in the flesh. I mean, I would be full of faith. That's how I think. But unfortunately, uh, that wasn't always the case. Uh, We're going to read about that. If you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 8, we'll start in verse 19. I, I don't really have a title, but... Uh, I was asked what my title was. I guess if I had to have one, it would just be following Christ, following Christ. Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, it says, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You may be seated. First tonight, we see a real sacrifice. A real sacrifice. In verse 19, we see that uh, one of two men, these two men from the outside, they would have appeared to be followers of Christ. One of these men, the first one was a scribe. The other one, the Bible tells us, was a disciple. Now, a scribe was someone who would have studied the Scriptures. He would have taught the Scriptures, but his most well-known job as a scribe was to be a writer. Now, if you're anything like me, I look at verse 20, and I think that's an interesting response by, by Jesus. 
to what the scribe said. He said, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. To me, in verse 20, Jesus' response is a little interesting. I personally believe that Jesus responded this way because he knew the scribe's heart. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I believe that one fact, the one fact that Jesus didn't have a house, he was traveling all the time, he told him he didn't have anywhere to lay his head, I believe that one fact is what Christ knew was holding back that scribe. That one fact is what uh, Christ knew was in the middle uh, between that scribe being a dedicated disciple of Christ. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knows your heart today. Jesus was wanting this man to count the cost of what it would truly take to follow him. Now the second man, the disciple, he just had an excuse. He said he needed to go bury his father, and then he would come. Now his, Jesus' response was, it was a very hard response. It wasn't harsh, but it was hard. You know, Jesus wasn't being rude when he said, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. He wasn't being rude, but again, he knew this man's heart. He knew that this man was using that as an excuse. Have you ever had someone tell you something you didn't want to hear? I know I have. Both of these men had something that was holding them back. And I ask you this morning, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from reading your Bible? Honestly, what's holding you back from prayer? Being at church every time the doors are open. You know, there's no retirement in Christianity. There's no retirement, especially not here on earth. If you're here and you're breathing, God has something He wants you to be doing. It would do us all good to identify what's holding us back in our Christian life and fix it. You know, following Jesus is not a cakewalk type of life. Modern-day Christianity likes to portray it that way, but Christianity is not a live-your-best-life now type of life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 38 and 39, He that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And listen to this, He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Following Jesus takes sacrifice. You're going to have to do the things you don't always want to do. But I will say, following Jesus isn't necessarily a hard life. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 15, The way of the transgressor is hard. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. And here it is, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way of the transgressor is hard. The Christian life isn't a hard life, but it is a life full of sacrifice. You know, everyone here sacrificed this morning to come to church. God's pleased with that. Jesus was reminding his disciples that Hey, you're going to have to sacrifice if you're going to want to follow me. And Jesus' disciples, they immediately find this out in the next two verses. Not only is it a sacrifice, uh, we, we see, it, uh, secondly, a raging sea. In verse 23 and 24, it says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Now, one of my greatest fears is to be stranded out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, any kind of movie, TV show that, that, you know, that happens, I'm just sitting there watching like, man, if that was me, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I feel like I would just sink on purpose uh, so I could, you know, <laughs> be with the Lord in heaven. You know, I love fishing. Uh, you know, I'd even be willing to go on a cruise. But as soon as you talk about being out in the middle of the ocean, nothing but, you know, maybe a raft, you know, that, that is like one of my, probably my biggest fear. I mean, I'm terrified of that. You can't see anything under you. 
You can't see any land around you. You're just out there floating, looking at the stars. I mean, I do not ever want to be in that place, especially not during a storm. You know, I, I'm saying that's my fear if, if it was 70 and sunny, especially when a storm comes, I'm going to be terrified. Many of these disciples were actually fishermen, and even they were afraid of the storm. If anyone knew, knew this sea the most, it would have been these fishermen. And even they were frightened by this storm. That's how you know this storm was frightening. Now think with me here. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a storm? In the middle of a trial? We all could raise our hand. We all have. You know, there are three types of people in this room this morning. Those who just got out of a storm, those who are currently in a storm, and those who are heading right toward one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God doesn't want us to fear in the midst of our trials. The Bible says that Jesus was asleep. Oh, the peace of Jesus. A storm is raging, and He's just there sleeping as if nothing's going on. In Philippians 4, verse 7, the peace of God's described as a peace which passeth all understanding. Have you ever seen a Christian have peace through a trial? You just can't wrap your mind around it, how they're doing it. That's the peace of God in that moment. Listen, I, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but God knows. Charles Spurgeon once said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. What do you do when you find yourself in a storm? This morning, what do you run to? Do you let fear take over? Let's see, where did the disciples go in the midst of their trial? Thirdly, this morning, they went to the right source. Look at verse 25, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now, a couple months ago, me and my wife, we uh, got our first house. Anyone here who's a homeowner knows that everything needs fixed. There's not a week that goes by that there's not something that needs fixed. Uh, one of the issues we've been having was uh, some flooding uh, around our uh, furnace, around our, around our water heater. And so uh, I, I reached out to the professional that I know, Brother Green, and, you know, the condensation pump it's called. I'm not going to explain the whole process, but it, it pumps out water. Water goes into the condensation pump, and it pumps the water right back out. Well, the thing looked like it was older than me. So I thought, you know, let's go to Menards. I'll buy another one of those. I think that's not working. I don't think that's working. And so I go, I, I buy a new one, go to Menards, get it. I put it in, plug it in, and it's just sitting there not making any noise. I'm looking up on YouTube, YouTube videos. I can't figure it out. It's not even turning on. I, I even took the little plastic thing off that you got to take off for it to start. Nothing's working. And so for two or three weeks, maybe a month, I don't know, I just have water dripping into a bucket that every now and then I would just go empty out. Finally, I reach out to Brother Green, like I said, and Brother Green, the first thing he says was, go make sure that that plug is working. I thought to myself, well, that seems silly, but all right, let me go look. So I go, I plug my phone charger in. Sure enough, there's no power there. Here I am, and I'm sitting there. I didn't want to tell my wife this. And I'm like, this whole time, this plug doesn't even have power. So I get an extension cord for a different plug. I plug it in, boom, it turns right on. Water starts pumping. That's it. That's all I had to do. All I had to do was find the right source for my power. The disciples... And us, if you're going through a storm, when you go through a trial, you need to go to the right source. You know, wouldn't this world be a better place if people went to Jesus for their problems? We all have problems, but 
Where we differ from one another is what or who we run to for the solution. Many in our world run to alcohol, drugs, money. It might do them some type of good in their mind for just a season. You know, sin is sweet, sin is good for just a season. Maybe they just trust in themselves. Maybe you trust in yourself through the trials in their life. We can all testify that there were times when only Jesus could get us through what we were going through. I wish I could say this morning that I ran to Jesus, straight to Jesus, every time a storm came in my life, but unfortunately that's not the case for me. I've already said we all have problems, but the most important problem that society has is how they're going to receive eternal life. If you're here and you're not saved today, only Jesus can save you from your sins. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Being a good person won't save you. Giving money to the church won't save you. Being a Baptist won't save you. Only your faith in Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The disciples did the right thing. They went to Jesus during their trials. They knew where their, the source was. The great source, the best source, was Jesus. Why wouldn't we go to Jesus in the midst of our trials? After all, God knows what's best for us. You know, I think of Joseph in the Bible. Think of all the trials that Joseph went through. Hated by his brethren, sold into slavery, accused of sexual sin with Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail for at least two years and was forgotten there. And after all, in the end, he was able to say to his brothers, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. What a powerful verse. Have you ever stopped to think about why God allows trials to enter into your life? God doesn't just do it to watch us suffer. First Peter 1 verse 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, so many of us here, we pray to get out of the trial, although it's through the trial in which our faith gets tested and our faith gets strengthened. Whether God removes the trial completely or not, just know that He's always there. God always has a plan for you. I'm reminded of one verse back in the story of Joseph, Genesis 39, 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that God's always with you. The disciples, they went to the right source. They cried, Lord, save us, we perish. By the way, that's what everyone who's ever been saved, that's what you cried unto God. I remember when I was five years old and I cried unto God, I, I perish, save me, Lord. The disciples, they thought they were going to die. And fourthly, this morning, we see the rescuing Savior. Look at verse 26. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? We have a rescuing Savior. Notice Jesus asks them why they're so fearful. I mean, after all, God manifests in the flesh is right there on the same boat as you. We read this again and we say, why are you so afraid? Yet so many of us Christians live day by day in fear. Whether it's politics, COVID, the stock market, whatever it is, you name it. I believe Christ says the same thing to us. Why are ye so fearful? 
The Bible says that Jesus arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I put this on the list of Bible events that I, I hope I get to see when I get to heaven. Now, we don't truly know how bad the storm was, but it was bad enough that full-time fishermen thought they were going to die. The meaning of that word rebuke is to force back or to back down. Mark's gospel says that Jesus only said three words, peace, be still. And that storm that looked so frightening to the disciples just laid down like a well-trained dog. We see Jesus' full power over creation in action. And this shouldn't surprise us, after all, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by Him, says, uh, talks about Jesus, this is about Jesus, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. That exact sea that had that storm, Jesus created that sea. Jesus wasn't afraid of that sea. I believe the disciples' faith were strengthened that day. We read that they marveled and asked, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus to the rescue. It's a real sacrifice to follow Christ. You will be met with raging seas. You better make sure when you do, you go to the right source because Jesus is our rescuing Savior. Brother Daniel.